Some stuff in life is hard. Calculus. Calculus is hard. Parallel parking in a city, that's hard. Fighting a bureaucracy, that's hard. I think making an omelet is really hard. I just don't have the knack for it. Some stuff is hard, but some stuff in life seems impossible. So what do you do when you come up to something that feels like an immovable object, that feels impossible to get over or around? It's just not hard. It seems impossible. Like you think about everybody who has small children right now with all of the things you have to juggle, just having kids, and then the craziness of the pandemic. That's got to feel like there are impossible moments. What if your business is in a continual downward spiral and you can't figure out a way out? What if you're involved? I know a couple of people who are involved in lengthy lawsuits that are completely unjust and mostly just harassment and they never seem to, to end. What, what if you've got a person in your life who seems to live just to make you miserable? Or what if the doctor said there's nothing more we can do? Or what if you're running away from something in your past and it keeps catching up to you? Do you just give up? Do you search for some workaround? Do you pray for a miracle? What do you do? Jesus addresses this when he looks at a challenge and says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. All things are possible with God. It might look impossible to me or to you, but not to God. Sometimes, and this is going to be key in what we're going to talk about today, sometimes life requires a miracle. And God, God is good at miracles. This idea of nothing being impossible for God comes up about four times in the Bible. It comes up in some really interesting situations, in some really impossible situations. One of the first times it comes up is in the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham had a promise that he was going to be the father of a multitude, of a large nation, and they had no kids. And they didn't know how this was going to be. And one day, some angelic visitors come to their tent, and they say that they're going to end up being pregnant. And Sarah laughs because she's, you know, 112 at the time. And the angel said, why did she laugh? And the angel says to them, nothing is impossible for God. Then later on in the book of Job, I don't know if you know the story. I'm sorry, it seems so boring, but you should read it with me sometime. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Job has everything taken away from him. And he has questions for God. And it takes a long time to get around. And finally, God shows up. And he never really answers Job's questions. He just shows Job who he is. And at the very end of the book, Job says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, nothing is impossible for you. And then maybe one of the most famous times it's ever said is when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, the Virgin Mary, and says that she's going to have a baby. And Mary tries to wrap her head around this. And Gabriel eventually says to her, nothing is impossible with God. 
Nothing's too hard. You can do all things. No purpose of God's can be thwarted. Nothing is impossible with God. Over and over and over, nothing is impossible with God. In life's most difficult situations, nothing is impossible with God. So now there's this fourth occurrence, and we're going to dive a little bit more deeply into that one. So we're going to be in Mark 10 this morning. Starting at verse 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So what do you notice about these commandments? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Jesus tosses that one as a bonus. It's not really one of the Ten Commandments. And then honor your father and mother. What do you notice about those? Those are the ones that apply to how we treat other people. There are other ones in there that apply to how we treat God. And I think it's kind of interesting that the way that we treat God isn't addressed here. Maybe that's because, as we've said before, that love for God is a little bit abstract. But we can look at how you treat other people and tell how much you love God. How we love God will always find application in how we treat other people. So Jesus lays all of these out that have to do with other people, and he ends with what actually comes before all of them in the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. And I think the reason that he does that is because that's the one that ends with a promise. Honor your mother and father so that you may live a long life in the land your Lord God is giving to you. So the guy comes up to Jesus and says, how will I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you will inherit eternal life by keeping the commandments, by demonstrating your love for God. And living into that, it's really no different than if Jesus had said the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He's just kind of contextualizing it for this particular dude. Here are the commandments, live into them, demonstrate your love for God. So then in verse 20, it continues, Teacher, the man declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So Jesus says, follow the commandments and he lists them out. And the dude says, I've done all those things. And there's no reason not to believe that that isn't true. This isn't just, you know, pride or, or whatever. I mean, probably most observant Jews at that time would have done all of those things. I mean, honoring your mother and father is a little bit hard to gauge, but most of people would have been able to say that that's what they had did. So he's probably just being honest. He's done a lot to keep those commandments. And then I love this next line in verse 21 because it's easy to skip over Jesus looked at him and he loved him. I think Jesus sees that he's honestly seeking. This guy is really, really trying. Because sometimes the way Jesus talks in the Bible comes across as a little bit snarky. But this is worth pausing on. Jesus hears his answer and he loves him. 
And not only does that remind us of God's predisposition toward, predisposition towards us and Jesus' attitude towards us, but it's also just this beautiful moment with this guy where Jesus understands that he's trying. And then Jesus says what for many people is the scariest verse in the New Testament. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, this is not a general application. Jesus doesn't tell everybody, go sell everything that you have. And if it hadn't been for well-to-do people, Jesus' ministry never would have gotten off the ground. Somebody had to pay the bills. But what Jesus sees in this guy, even though he's honestly and earnestly seeking him, is that he has one foot firmly in two worlds. And what Jesus is saying is, you've got to make a decision about what world you're going to live in. And then once you decide, then come back and follow me then. So Jesus is really calling him to make a decision. And I think Jesus is pulling for him. Jesus is saying, you are headed on the right road, but there's this thing. There's this thing that's holding you back. And for him, it happened to be his money. That was keeping him from being fully devoted to Jesus. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He went away sad. I mean, the literal translation is his face fell. He was hoping for something else. And when Jesus says, you need to let go of relying on your money, his face fell because he had a lot of money. And he realized that if this is what following Jesus was going to cost, it probably cost too much. So Jesus says it's really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we could just stop right there and we could have a fine sermon and we could talk about the evils of money and how, you know, captains of industry rape and pillage, you know, the planet and other people and take advantage of the poor. That would be a really easy place to land in the sermon, except that's not where Jesus will let us land because Jesus isn't done. Because as usual with Jesus, there's more here than meets the eye. And we can tell that by the beginning of the next verse. So he says it's really hard for rich people to enter into, the heaven, into heaven. And verse 24 says, the disciples were amazed at his words, stunned, taken aback, that kind of amazed. It wasn't like, wow, that's really pithy. It's more like, what? The disciples were amazed at his words. Which words? It's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is really surprising for them. Why is that surprising for them? Well, I'm glad you asked, but you're going to have to wait for a minute before I answer the question. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Did you hear the difference between what Jesus just said? He said two different things. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, how hard it is for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. 
Jesus actually talks a number of times about how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. So this is not a new theme. Jesus talks about how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God a lot. So why is it difficult to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Is it because God makes it difficult? I don't really think so. I think the better answer is that we don't want to go. <laughs> or we want to go on our terms. So many times, I think, when it comes to our relationship with God, we get really transactional. What's it going to cost me? And what do I get for my investment? That's exactly what the rich man in this, in this uh, parable is talking about. What's it going to cost? That's too much. You know, transactional. Well, maybe on my own terms. Are there a couple of tiers in the kingdom of God? I mean, can I start on an entry level and try it for a while, then maybe trade up to premium or something like that? I mean, that's the way we look at things. Versus, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life, which is what Peter says in a moment of unusual clarity, when he really sees who Jesus is and what he's offering him. And a little sidebar, the whole thing about the camel, it's easier for a camel uh, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. First of all, it's not a gate in Jerusalem. There's a lot of people who think that there's this little tiny gate in Jerusalem that a camel could get through if you took off its load and it shimmied through on its knees. Number one, there is no gate in Jerusalem like that. It was actually a medieval tourist trap kind of like the Inn of the Good Samaritan on the road to Jericho. They literally built a hole in the wall and charged people to see the, uh, the eye of the needle. So it, 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 it never really existed. And then you just have to, on a practical level, you have to ask the question, why would you go to all of the trouble of unloading your camel and having him get down his, on his knees to go through this gate when you could literally go 100 feet down and go through a perfectly good city gate? It's hyperbole. It's basically like when pigs fly, this thing will happen. So it's hard to get into the kingdom of God because oftentimes we don't want to go or we want to go on our own terms. Then verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? So the disciples were amazed and then the disciples were even more amazed. Their first amazement was because Jesus just turned their entire cultural understanding of what blessing looks like on its head. When, when Jesus says it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God, that goes completely against anything that they've ever thought. It goes completely against everything they thought that the Bible taught because pretty much wealth and succeeding in life is a sign of God's blessing. So that's pretty upsetting. They, they've based this on the Deuteronomic Code, which basically says that if you follow God, you'll be blessed, and if you don't, you'll be cursed. So if you have people who are following God who are rich, they must be blessed. That must be how God rewards them with money. And Jesus is saying, not so much. And they're like, what? 
So this is really a new understanding for them, that riches don't necessarily mean blessing. And, and we might even believe the same thing. We might look at people who have more money than we do and go, well, maybe God likes them better. And then when Jesus says it's hard for anyone to enter the kingdom of God, they're more amazed how hard it is for the rich, how hard it is for people. And what Jesus is doing is just kind of dialing down into them. So trust in money was his deal. That was what was keeping him from the kingdom of God. What's your deal? What keeps you from wholeheartedly following Jesus? What makes that difficult for you? Because you can't do both things and enjoy the blessings of knowing Jesus. You have to make a choice, and then you live with that choice. So the disciples go, if it's hard, who can be saved? And that's when Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. With God, all things are possible. But wait, Jesus. You just said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for me to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, but with God, all things are possible. And you'll notice that Jesus never said it couldn't happen. He just said it was hard. All of the instances where it says nothing is impossible for God are all talking about God's plans and purposes. None of God's plans and purposes will fail. Because no matter how hard it is, nothing is impossible for God. It might seem like it requires a miracle, but God is good at miracles. We know that it's God's plan and purpose that everyone come to know Jesus. Not one person is unreachable. Not one person is beyond hope. The kid that you've been praying for that doesn't show any interest, nothing is impossible for God. The parent or the spouse who you desperately want to know the hope and the peace that Jesus can bring them but seems absolutely opposed to anything about Jesus, nothing is impossible for God. The addicts on the corner, the abusers, the felons, nothing is impossible with God. And you, you know that thing that you keep doing that you feel guilty about every time that you do it and you think, will I ever get over doing that? Nothing is impossible for God. Because God's plan and purpose is to make you like Jesus. A long time ago, there was this Christian singer named Don Francisco, and he was pretty much the uh, voice-wise, the equivalent of Bob Dylan. You really couldn't tell whether there was any variation in pitch. And he had this one song that has stuck with me ever since I first heard it years ago. And the chorus goes, I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who's made your bed. I already gave my life to set you free. There's no sin you can imagine that is stronger than my love. It's all yours if you come back again to me. Nothing is impossible for God. No person is beyond reach. No sin is beyond redemption. And that's why I love Jesus's attitude to the rich young ruler. He wills him to say yes, because he knows that if he gives up his bondage to his money, that will truly set him free. Peter, ever the practical one, says, 
we've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. What Jesus is getting at is the kingdom of God is a bit topsy-turvy. The, the stuff that you thought counted for something, the people that you thought were worth more than other people, yeah, that stuff doesn't matter so much in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is all about the impossible, miraculous love and grace of God. It doesn't always make sense. So a couple of points. Don't give up on people. Some of you have prayed for people that you love for decades. Keep on praying. Nothing is impossible with God. Watch how you look at other people. Remember, God wants everyone to come home, even the annoying people, even people on the opposite spectrum. I mean, nothing is impossible with God, right? So watch how you look at other people. And don't give up on God's plan for you. Many of us are headed in a direction that we really feel like God called us, and sometimes it gets hard. Sometimes we give up too early or too quickly, but sometimes it's just hard, not impossible. And with God, nothing is impossible. So keep on keeping on. And don't give up on your personal growth. That sin that so easily entangles you, don't give up on that. Keep going, because nothing is impossible with God. Maybe add some tricks of the trade. Find somebody that you can trust to share with that'll help you with that. But don't give up. Keep moving forward because nothing is impossible with God. Anybody can be saved. Any situation can be redeemed. But I think it's worth keeping in mind, too, that all things are possible, but not all things are probable. And I think there's an important distinction there. That's why not every prayer for a miracle is answered. I don't know why. But answering those prayers is God's job. My job is to pray in faith and believe that God, is that God is able to do everything. And that kind of takes us back to that Job thing that I started in, with in the beginning. Job never got answers for his questions. What he got was an understanding of who God was. Job says, I've spoken about stuff that I don't understand, but I've come to know that you are God. And I think... That's about as good as it gets. We won't always understand why some things happen and some things don't, but we can get a good picture of a God who can do anything. So let me ask you three questions. If Jesus were to say to you, one thing you lack, go and then come follow me, what would be in the blank? Number two, what's a seemingly impossible situation in your life right now? And number three, who can you double down on praying for?